In Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus tells what we would call a story. Uh, what he would say is he was telling a parable. Now, <clears throat> a parable is sort of like, um, for those of you that have kids, or maybe remember when they were younger, they ask really annoying questions like, where is heaven? What is God? Why is God? And so we, we, we try to help people understand big concepts, and we try to help our kids uh, really come to terms with top-shelf ideas and bring them down through storytelling to a bottom shelf that's within their reach. And so Jesus tells parables to really describe and tell us, and a parable really is a poetic grunt. It's, it's, it's like this, but it's also like that. It's, so it's not really, so if you're not really great, if you're not a, a, a gray thinker, parables can be frustrating to you, right? Because you think of black and white, something has to start and finish. And so Jesus describes uh, parables in terms of helping us with really top shelf concepts of God, and through storytelling, puts them at a bottom shelf so that we can bring it up and so that they can be tangible for us. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been sick the past couple of days. That's why I've been pounding some water so that we can actually understand what Jesus is actually teaching about. Jesus never wants to make himself look superior to us about his knowledge. We already know, like he wrote the Bible, we already know that he knows the beginning and the ending, right? And so he tells stories in a parable form for us to understand what God is like and what the kingdom of God is like and the tension of what it means to be human uh, in these stories. And so Jesus in Luke 15 tells the story of the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son brings up one of life's, if not maybe the biggest question that we have, and one of life's biggest questions is this, where do you go to satisfy your deepest longing? Like, like we all have longings, right? If you don't, um, maybe you need to wake up to the world. Like, we all have feelings. We all have emotions. The Lord has put that in our, in our bones, and sometimes we feel like in, like, with religion and church and, and God, we think we should suppress those. No, we all have longings uh, in, in our lives. The question is, where do we go to fulfill them? And so, whether you have taken your longings and it has drawn you away from the Lord or it's brought you closer to the Lord, Jesus tells this parable that says whether you've walked away from the Lord or if you walk towards the Lord, everybody, this ticked off the Pharisees, everybody can find their way back to God. Maybe for the first time or maybe like me once again. And so over this series, we're going to talk about some awakenings that happened in the prodigal son's life that would even cause him to go from complete immaturity and arrogance, and we'll get that into that in a moment, to actually wondering, I I've wrote my dad off, can I, actually, can I actually come back? And one of those is the awakening to longing. We all wonder, is there something more? Longing is in our poetry, it's in our music, it's in the film, the movies we watch, it's in the TV shows we watch, it's in the conversations that we have. So I thought it'd be fun, <laughs> my version of fun, to do a little interactive piece, okay? So our awesome sound and tech volunteers are going to play a clip, an audio clip of a song. Now all three of these songs are about longing and in different ways. So you're going to hear a lyric and your job is to sing out or yell out or elbow the person next to you to do your job for you, uh, the rest of the lyric. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's the first song. Sing it to the you Love it. Man, you sing be sound better than the 930. 
second song. Nice. All right. Here, here's the here, here's the third song. That oh my God. I grew up on the other side of Kentucky. This is New England, right? America. Oh wow. Awesome. We all have different longings, and we put these in songs, and we pay. Uh, men and women to tell us that we all have longings and we go to their concerts and we buy their records and buy their paintings that it is part of the human condition whether you follow Jesus or not whether you're religious or not it's irrelevant you all have longings the question is where do you go to fulfill them we also have longings for love as well as that every country song <laughs> ever written uh, I found this out this week that Glenn Wolf believe it or not because <clears throat> you know it would be a guy that would hold this record, holds the record for the most number of marriages in the United States. He's been married 29 times. My younger brother, Graham, is 29. That's like one wedding for every year that he's been born. His shortest marriage uh, lasted 19 days, and his longest marriage lasted seven years. Do you want to know what he did as a profession? He was a Baptist minister, <laughs> also a hypocrite. I can make fun of him because Jesus made fun of religious people. All right. Number three, we also long for purpose. Like, remember when you were five or six years old and, and, you, and your parents or someone asked you, what do you want to be? <clears throat> Excuse me. What do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And you knew instantaneously, my life has purpose. I want to be and for me, it was a first baseman uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. After the Reds just, the first service laughed at me too. What is your, pro I didn't say the Bengals. I mean, I'm weird. I'm not stupid. <clears throat> I wanted to be a first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. And so I, you know, I, I played baseball my whole life and it just, it just, it didn't work out. But my second, uh, my second uh, desire of what I wanted to be uh, was a police officer. Uh, which isn't a far stretch. I'm a firstborn, so I have to wait the longest to get my freedom. And by the time Graham was born, it was like, yeah, just don't get arrested or break the law, whatever. Just <laughs> do whatever, right? And so I, I, at five or six years old, I knew I wanted to be one of those two things. And when we're five, six, seven, eight years old, we don't think about what kind of income does this job generate, right? I mean, obviously, if you're a professional athlete, it could be a lot of money. I just wanted to be on the ball field. I loved playing baseball. And, but we don't think about that when we're younger. What kind of retirement uh, can, can this acquire to me and my family? What's a FICO score, right? Like when we're that young, we don't think about that because we think about ultimately what we want to do. We have purpose and meaning. We're ready to charge forward through it, but we get older, don't we? Middle school happens. <laughs> high school happens. And then we get into college or the military or the workforce, and we're exploring different things. And, and we realize... <laughs> Uh, we, we realize that it's a little more complicated to find purpose in life. And we go throughout different ways and different journeys to find purpose. The fourth longing that we all have and the prodigal son has is a longing <coughs> for meaning. And that's a really big question. It's one of the biggest questions I get asked and, and, and probably would get asked even if I wasn't working at a church is the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. Why the Holocaust? Why, why am I infertile? Uh, nurse I got, uh, 
asked me this question too. One of my good friends, why, why is my husband and I struggling with infertility, and yet I work in the NICU at the hospital where we were, where we were at, and these crackhead baby mamas come in and are afraid to identify their child because if they come into the hospital, they're going to get arrested. Like, what's up with that? And so for a lot of us as Jesus followers, we, we have to, we strive to reconcile the tension of following Jesus and then like fairness. Like, why does this happen to me? And then that's a good question. You need to ask that question. If, if you're not struggling with big questions and doubt, chances are you're probably not engaged in your faith. And so it, we have these longings for meaning, like I understand Jesus and what the preacher tells me and the things that I'm learning at church and in life groups, but yet here, here are some real things that are happening in my life. Like, like wh- wh- why did my husband leave me? Why did my business partner lie to me and take the money and leave? Like, why can't my kid just say hi to me? <laughs> For I feel like strangling him to death, right? And we have all these tensions in our lives where we're trying to reconcile following Jesus and actually these big questions that provide meaning. And I would not serve you well if I just gave you a Christian hallmark answer because life isn't black and white, it's gray. And we all long for meaning. And it's in these awakenings and in these longings that the prodigal son, we'll go through this over the next five weeks, realizes that maybe I could find my way back to God. Now, before we get to that moment, we're going to introduce you to some folks that you're going to hear about their stories over the next five weeks. And, and this week is sort of getting to know them and part of their journey as they walked away from the Lord. So check out this video. My father was an alcoholic, so I grew up in that type of a, of a home. Once I became of age, drinking was just natural. I saw it, I did it, participated in it, got heavy into it. My first marriage was not very successful, and it ended fairly, fairly soon. I had a daughter with my first wife, and I was very into being a, a daddy. Having my daughter gone was very, very difficult. Uh, and it was probably at that time, as far as from a drinking standpoint, I got a lot heavier. Got married again, got into the same, same habits, same routine. My first marriage lasted five years. I had a daughter, got divorced. My second marriage lasted five years. I had a daughter, got divorced. Didn't really learn from my experiences. It was more a day-to-day, I want to feel good today, however that was. Alcohol, sex, success at work. Uh, there was no real foundation of anything significant that I was searching for. That was rock bottom for me. I've had two failed marriages in 10 years, two daughters that are no longer with me on a day-to-day basis. And I'm by myself at this point. My journey started when I was two years old and my mom and my um, dad divorced. And I, we had lived with my grandmother for a long time and she had been at the mo- at the time gave us an ultimatum to stay with her or to leave and my grandmother and I did not have a good relationship my mother and my grandmother did not have a good relationship I met my ex-husband when I was a junior um, it was great in the beginning I didn't really know who I was though at 16 17 years old to be in, in love or even know what it meant it was just something was missing but I just was so in the moment and wanted like to get married and the whole fairy tale that I kind of pushed those feelings aside. Um, Once we had my daughter, it definitely took a turn for the worse. His behavior changed and my behavior changed and I wanted out about a year after. And so I stuck with it for a little bit, 
longer and we went to therapy. And then once I found out I was pregnant with my son, I felt like I was just stuck. I, you know, I have two kids and I definitely don't want to be a single mom with two kids. So I knew something had to change and I just kind of went the wrong way to make that change. I had an affair and then on Father's Day weekend, I had another affair and the man that I had an affair with ended up being my boyfriend for a few years after me and my ex-husband separated. I think from the beginning of being with a grandmother that treated me like a piece of crap to now being in a relationship that I'm just destroyed and slept with multiple men, but there was no God. And if he was there, he was not a nice person. Uh, I grew up in a, a Christian home um, with two parents who also grew up in, in Christian families. When I was young, about seven, my, my parents moved to a camp in Central Illinois, a Christian youth camp. And that was a really, really cool way to grow up, uh, just surrounded by youth groups and, and Christian kids. And coupled with that, I also grew up in the church, surrounded by a family that uh, didn't just believe it, but they lived it. For me, growing up, uh, the key word I think in my family would be acceptance. Uh, I didn't find that out till later that that was a key word, but it was exactly what I knew growing up. No matter what I did, I would always be loved. Um, exactly as I am in any moment. You know, I had a faith, I saw how it had played out in my family's lives, but I did not have a direction. And I did not have a purpose that I felt like I was being pulled towards or, or called to just kind of searching, longing for a fulfillment that it seemed like everybody else in my family had and I just hadn't found yet. Hopefully <clears throat> you can resonate with one of their stories. Uh, I think sprinkled in all those stories is a sense of, of longing, wanting, wanting if there's something more. And before we jump into the first chunk of the story, I, if you sense the spirit moving in you, and you're like, man, I have a friend or a couple friends or some coworkers that would connect with this series that's going to be really real and honest, I'd encourage you to send them a text, invite them uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> man, uh, some good stuff there, L a lot going on. And so with this a sense that everyone can find their way back to God, Jesus opens up by telling this parable of the prodigal son uh, found in Luke 15, verse 11 and 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can watch uh, on the screen as well. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he divided between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, <clears throat> set off to a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, uh, after he'd spent everything, there was a famine uh, in, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, <clears throat> who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So Jesus is, is telling this parable, this top-shelf idea, and through storytelling, trying to help us understand, as best as we can, the love of God, <laughs> even if we want to run away from it. So in, in the first century, wealth was amassed through owning uh, cattle and uh, land. And so when a father 
would uh, set up his estate and his will, he would uh, give a bigger portion to the elder son, the firstborn. So that would be lucky for me. Uh, you don't know where the firstborn son is right now in the text. We're just dealing with the younger son. And so that, that kind of creates a fun image when uh, Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn, telling Christians whatever Jesus has, you get it because you're part of his family now. And so when, when a first century father would pass away, the estate and the finances, the bigger portion would go to the firstborn, and then it would be disseminated uh, throughout uh, the family. And so this, this younger son said, you know what? I'm bored playing Xbox. I'm done living off of Doritos and brownies. I want to go see the world. And, and, and the military and college and the workforce can be great things, right? It, it, it infuses autonomy. You got to take care of yourself, be your own man, be your own woman. But also there's a strong sense that um, if you're in high school and you're playing your cards close, uh, the military and college and the workforce can be a great place to escape, right? It, it's a great opportunity to form a new identity. <clears throat> Nobody knows you. You can be whatever you want. You can control, especially in the first century, there's no such thing as social media. You can control what people know about you. Uh, and uh, you, you can be whoever you want to be. And so there's a sense right away that the younger son has this longing uh, for an awakening. Is there more? I, you know, my, my parents have told me that there's more to life. My Sunday school teacher, my you know, small group leader, my aunts and uncles have all told me that there's more to this life. But you know what? I want to experience it for myself. Dad, give me my share of your inheritance. That's, I mean, my dad was 6'3 and 350 pounds. I wouldn't say it like that. But, but, but more, um, more uh, jarring and offensive is the fact of how the sons would get the money. In the first century, the father had to pass away. And so the son, of, in effect, is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm severing ties from you. And for the people in here, you have, I mean, I've been here seven months, so I know many of you have severed ties from some family members, whether you've done that for your own health or they've done it to you for their own health. I mean, it, it, it's heavy. It's tough stuff. And Jesus tells a story that says there's a family with conflict. Hello. And the younger son says, Dad, I want to go see the world for myself. And I know I can't do that until after you pass away. So give me my money now, because you're dead to me. And whether you like it or not, or think it's foolish or not, or the, the father would be, you know, uh, lit up on Facebook, the father gives his son his share of the inheritance. And notice what Jesus says. The younger son set off to a distant country. Now, now that's easy. It's easy to glaze over, because you're like... I don't care. It's geography. So what? But you have to understand, in the first century, to be a Jew meant you belonged to <clears throat> a people, right? America and the Western world values autonomy. The writers of Scripture valued community over autonomy. And so your whole livelihood was around your family. It was around your synagogue and your rabbis and your friends and your neighbors, so not only <laughs> does Jesus start the story 
in a very offensive and aggressive way that a son would have the chutzpah to say, Dad, you need to die. I want the money. I'm going to go see the world for myself. <clears throat> Not only does he do that, he unwisely, in my opinion, and Jesus brings this up for dramatic effect, decides to go away to a far country. I think C.S. Lewis calls it um, the, the high country. <clears throat> it has, um, if you read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, this, this phrase is terrifying. Because what it has is it sprinkles and hints at the concept of hell. Because heaven would be community, would be relationship. There's no severance, there's no tension. There's, there, 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 there's a, a beautiful relationship among the people of God that's displayed in the Trinity. But for us to, to, to be our own self-made man, our own self-made woman, we have to value autonomy over community. And that's why Jesus says, not only is it aggressive, like Jerry Springer aggressive, to say, Dad, die, I want your money. But then he says there, there, there's a very scary aspect to going your own way. There's a, there's a tension that we all need. We all ask, is there more to this life? You need to ask that. Jesus put that desire in your bones. But be careful. I'm telling you, church, be careful the way in which you go about fulfilling your greatest desire. Because without community, this guy, I mean, <clears throat> he's on his own. And you got to understand, people walked everywhere back then. So not only is he susceptible to being eaten by animals, not only is he susceptible by uh, a good-looking woman or an attractive guy that makes a great friendship with him, like he's susceptible to getting taken advantage of. You can't write home. You can't text, like, send an Uber, Dad. I need to come back home. You can't do that. You are all on your own. And we see that when he goes to a different country, <coughs> excuse me, he goes to a part of the world that does not worship Yahweh. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when people move in Scripture, especially the men in the family, when they have to move their people, their first question isn't, do they have good schools? Do they have a good neighborhood? The first question is, is there a good church? Is there a good church that I can move my family to? Kind of a different way of thinking, right, when you move your family. And so Jesus is also saying that not only does this prodigal son not have family support, he doesn't have a church or in the first century. He doesn't have a synagogue to belong to. He has no spiritual support, no spiritual development. He's going to a country where they're going to worship false gods and goddesses and do um, <clears throat> really bad spiritual practices of whatever gods they worship, and he has no support. It's the same thing as, um, I've been student ministry, did student ministry for like 10 years. It's the same thing where like you send your kid off to college and they do their first week as college. And then there's this realization that if they, like if they were really involved in church, there's this realization that on Sunday night they get to decide for themselves, do they actually want to put in the effort to find a church and go to on Sunday morning? You see, when you're in a distant country, when you're in a new area, that's up to you. Your mom and dad can't hold your hand, nor should they. You're 18, 19 years old. But it's your decision. No one has to know if you go to church or not, right? And there's a sense of like, oh, man, I finally, I, you know, I, I played the poker hand throughout high school, middle school and high school. I'm not really digging the church thing, but I didn't really want to make my mom cry. But now that I'm in college, I can do what I want. That's scary stuff. 
Because <clears throat> when, we, when we walk off into a distant country, we run the risk of making really horrible decisions and finding ourselves in places, which we're going to find out in just a moment, that we, we're going to think, I never thought my life would turn out this way. And notice what the son does with the money in Luke 15, 13. Jesus says the younger son squandered <coughs> excuse me, his wealth in wild living. Yep, whatever you just thought, he did it, right? Drinking, sex parties, uh, jumping people for more money, taking advantage of other people, uh, buying whatever he wants, clothes, cars, money, houses, mansions. We don't know how wealthy this father was, but he had a lot of money. I mean, we don't know how far he was apart from his father. Every drug that you can possibly ingest in your body, he took advantage of it. So whatever you have in your mind of what wild living means, he did it. He lived it. He experienced it all for himself. He found out that there was more beyond the restrictions of his parents, more than the uh, you know, conservative or harsh, harsh rules of his father. There was more. There was life to be lived. I'm experiencing life, right? The thing about that is, man, like you are doing it for the first time for you, and so you think like this is amazing, but like everyone's done it, right? But no, no one tells you that. Like everyone's had that period of wondering. But this, this prodigal son thinks he's like onto something new. And notice what happens. Where This is how he ends up when he tries to fill his greatest longing. Luke 15, verse 15 and 16. He went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the... He longed. He, see, when we engage in high-risk behavior, when we go our own way, we are willing to do things that we never thought we would do when we are in the context and the safety of our church community, of our family, the people that love us. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Not only was uh, this young boy's interaction with his father so egregious, and not only did he unwisely leave his family, but the biggest shock here is that you have a Jew eating with pigs. That's not kosher. They would not eat bacon in the first century. All, 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 to, all to show the point of how desperate this young man is that his desire for longing and meaning and purpose and love actually did not fulfill his soul. His longing for love wasn't satisfied in his sex parties with other women and maybe other men. I, we don't know. His longing for purpose wasn't found in partying. His, his journey left him asking all kinds of why questions. Why didn't this turn out the way I thought it would? Why am I so lonely, broken, and empty? Why did I end up in a place like this. Why? And I think the reason why Charles Dickens said that the prodigal son is one of, the, the one of, if not the greatest short stories ever told, is because we've all asked that question. We can all identify with this story, whether we're Jesus followers in here or not. And there's longings that you have, right, as followers of Jesus, even now to this day. It's not a one and done. We go through different seasons in our lives. So let me ask you the big question for you to think about this week. Where will you go to satisfy your God-given longings? 
that's important that I said God give in. Because I think sometimes in religion and church life, we suppress what we're really feeling. And we should just like, just be stoic. You know, glad you're at church. Thank you. Right? No, Jesus wants to give you full life. He laughed. He, he joked with the disciples, right? Probably smacked Nicodemus upside the head a couple times, right? Like, he, he laughed with people. He, he lived a full life. There's a reason why people wanted to be around him, right? Where do you go to have your God-given longings fulfilled? And don't, don't lie to me. Like, don't, don't, come on. Don't give me the church answer. We've all gone to places we regret. And we've all gone to places that were meaningful to us. I'm not trying to be, you know, doom and gloom this whole time. But we all go to places where we find fulfillment in our longings for meaning and for purpose and for love. And those longings will either take us away from the Lord or bring us closer to the Lord. I want to invite our church into a 30-day prayer. And it's just a simple prayer. Uh, I picked it up. It's called the Pascal Wage. And Pascal basically told his, his buddies at the time, I'm gonna, I, w- I wanna make a bet with you. I'm gonna bet that God exists, okay? He's just kind of going on a limb there. I'm gonna bet that God exists. And if I'm right, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And if God doesn't exist, you still have nothing to lose. And so with that, he wrote this very simple prayer that, that you, might, you might think is foolish and kind of kiddish, but just remember that Jesus said we can't come to him unless we act like children and have faith like children. So there has to be this willingness to do and pray these certain, what we think might be simple prayers. And so we're going to post this prayer on our social media on Monday, and we want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Whether you're a Jesus follower, you're convinced, or you're not really sure, but you are curious. And here's the prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing in my life. Let me say that again. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing from my life. And I don't want to assume that just because you're a Jesus follower, you believe that God exists or that you struggle with like, God, where are you? That, that, that's, like ten, that's a common tension with leaders and people throughout the scriptures. And so I want to encourage you to gauge in this 30-day challenge to pray this prayer. God, if you're real, real, tell me, awaken in me that you are the most important person in my life. And so here's the final question. Where are you going to go? Where are we going to go as a church to have our deepest longings fulfilled? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jesus and his willingness to tell simple stories to help us capture big concepts of who you are and your Father. Uh, we, thank, we thank you that, that RCC can be a place where uh, we don't have to put on a mask and we can just be honest where we're at because uh, I think that's where transformation happens. Lord, I pray for my friends today that they would begin to pray that prayer. God, if you're real, awaken in me. Let me know that you are the most important relationship in my life. That whether I'm in a, a pig pen, credit card debt, the end of a relationship or a marriage, I can find my way back to you. You've not given up on me. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. We uh, welcome you to stand if you're able as we sing this next song. It's a simple song that just tells us uh, life is not easy.
but the Lord can do great things through times of difficulty. He can make something great.
If you're new to RCC, in uh, just a moment, we're going to celebrate <coughs> communion. Um, we're going to celebrate communion. And uh, w- one of the things that I've been thinking about in, in light of the sermon is, is really a cool text out of Mark 10, 51, where Jesus calls a blind man uh, to himself. He says, um, uh, verse 48, he says, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him over here. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. Which I think it's kind of offensive. He's calling you. Throw his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And notice the question that Jesus asked this man. What do you want me to do for you? I don't know, I feel like for some of us, religion and faith has been about like performing and doing stuff. But then here you have God in the flesh saying, hey man, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to I see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. What is your greatest longing right now in your life in, in this season? Because what I, what I want to communicate to you in our spiritual development is this. You, you, you got to know this. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And in that question, he's saying, you're allowed to approach me. You're allowed to tell me your deepest longing and desire in my presence. Wow. That changes everything. That, that changes religion and church from being this like, theoretical, abstract, controlling thing to manipulating people to a guy who comes from the heavens and says, hey, insert your first name, what do you want me to do for you? And for the blind man, his, his deepest longing is, I want, I want to see. I want to see. <clears throat> if Jesus was having coffee with you this week and he says, what do you want me to do for you? what would be your greatest longing? Not a church answer, not something you hope would make Jesus happy, uh, but what would be that greatest longing you've communicated, you would communicate to him? Some of you need to say, I I don't believe anymore. I've lost faith. Some of you need to say, or want to say, I'm not really sure what's next in my life. Whatever it is, whatever is most true about you in your season, what is it? We're going to celebrate communion. And I want to give you just a little prompting. As you celebrate communion, not just remembering the sacrifice Christ gave for you as something that was only relevant 2,000 years ago, I want to invite you to answer that question and to talk to Jesus, whether you're a believer or not. The question to you is, what do you want me to do for you? What's your greatest longing God, thanks so much that you, uh, you, care, you care so much that you get so close that you're, in, you're, you're invested in who we are as men and women, that you want to know, know what's going on in our lives. We want to know what's, <clears throat> you want to know what's most true about us. Now, we know at the cross what's most true about you, that, that you love us and you're crazy. And the father, you tell stories where the father says, here's $5.7 million, young son. Take it. Your love doesn't make sense. It's, it's overwhelming. It's, 
it crashes over our lives. But Jesus, do you know what you want from us? God, we believe you that you're loved, but, but I'm not so sure that we allow ourselves to be loved by you. May we just take this moment to just communicate in your presence what our greatest longing is. Whether that's beautiful or not, <laughs> it's most true. And that's what you're after. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.